It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson. Brian, how are you doing on a Monday morning of game week? Um, I'm doing well. I just realized I got too small of a coffee mug. I'm going to finish it before this pot ends, and so could be a struggle to the finish, but you you don't worry about that because you're not a coffee addict, which is uh, good on you. I, I only have as much available water as in this bottle, though, so if I need more water than that, it's a similar kind of issue, right? I guess so. You you must be you must just drink that water like you're, you're racing in the Tour de France or something, <laughs> like you're Greg LeMond. Yeah, I don't know if the Peloton bike can really get involved in the Tour de France, and it certainly oh, okay. can't when you you haven't ridden it in like two months. So there's that's also a bit of an issue when it comes to the bike riding. Uh, I gotta say, for Nebraska being on a business trip, you seem very dressed up this morning collared shirt and everything. <laughs> yeah, that whenever somebody says that, that's always like. I guess thanks for the compliment, but also an insult to how you usually dress, which is fair. Um, well, you're you're a sports writer, so there are no preconceived standards of dress, right? Yeah, don't worry. There's a stain somewhere on this shirt. There's <laughs> at least two or three uh, stains that haven't come out. Oh man, I, okay. So this is where we're already off topic. I promise we'll get back to Nebraska football. You're out to eat. Are there certain foods that you will not order because you're worried about getting a stain on it if you're out at lunch or something? And you wanna you wanna remain relatively clean throughout the rest of the day? I wouldn't say that, but I would say uh if you go through a salad bar, tomatoes scare the crap out of me. Like, you know, you know when you like put your fork in it and it spits at you? Um, tomatoes, I would say, uh, little tomatoes and salad. I'm not, I won't back down from them. You, you go to the fight and take it on, but it is something where when I put it on the plate, I'm like, all right, be very delicate here. Yeah. I, I think that's our, uh, I think that's our new title for this, uh, this podcast here this week. Husker 24 seven won't back down to tomatoes. Yeah. Right. Is exactly. that fair? Yeah. I think that's, uh, that works on a lot of different levels. All right. It is game week. Nebraska, I think they're somewhere probably over the Atlantic right now. I don't know what their schedule was exactly. Have they left already this morning? Brunch? I think they're, you know, I think or they're, Brunch. Brian, yeah, sorry. Well, Brunce is on, is on his way. Brunce there is today. in Chicago. We, yeah. we know where Brunce is. Yeah, we'll be seeing, seeing if the air travel treats him well. Hopefully everybody who's going uh, has yep. a pretty smooth flight in a time where <laughs> whenever you get go to board a plane you never know if you're gonna actually board the plane on time sure. but um yeah i i think nebraska is leaving later tonight basically for a quick rundown of what they're gonna do um they want guys to sleep on the plane like they're gonna black it out like an hour into the flight and then immediately when they get there and get through customs they're actually gonna go work out I'm thinking it's actually would be Tuesday morning. They're going Monday tonight. And then I think it'll be like Tuesday morning in Ireland early when they get there, uh, work out, eat. Uh, they're doing one little event and then basically sleep, sleep, sleep Tuesday. And the idea is that they're going to wake up Wednesday on Dublin time 
their bodies on Dublin time and ready to roll. So Tuesday is sort of the bridge day. Uh, sleeping on the flight, if you're not good at that and you're a player, uh, it could be a rough first uh, 36 hours. What what do we think it looks like for Bryce Benhart and Teddy Prohaska to sleep <laughs> on the flight? <laughs> I bet, yeah, they've, that's, uh, that's a good question. At least it's not like uh, – I believe when Nebraska played Kansas State in Tokyo in 92, they had to share the, the plane with Kansas State. Oh, so wow. uh, so at least they're not do- in that scenario. Well, that is good. That is uh, that is good. There's a lot of great stories from that trip. Uh, oh, yes. You can... So, some can be told and some yeah. uh, maybe can't. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I've, been, I've been told some of the ones that can't, but I certainly can't relay them without fear of, you know, litigation. So... Yeah, uh, we're we'll leave that alone. All right. Nebraska's media uh, got to meet with Scott Frost, got to meet with what, five, six players on Sunday. Uh, the, the normal Monday press conference moved up a day to, to accommodate everything uh, going on that's different with this week. Was there anything from Scott Frost? And we can uh, if, if you're good with it, we can just skip vomit talk unless you okay. you really want to dive into it. Otherwise we'll, we'll glide past that. Anything yeah. else from Scott Frost on Sunday that really kind of stood out to you right here? I mean, the, the, the starter was announced last week in Casey Thompson, uh, other depth chart stuff. We're just probably either going to hear from them later this week, or you're going to see it on Saturday, which seems more likely to me. Anything notable from Scott Frost on Sunday? Um, nothing Scott Frost said, um, just popped to the headlines, but um, Casey Thompson was really interesting. Uh, just the fact, I think people got sort of, a, he kind of put on display um, what he's been doing for seven months, you know, like a kind of the student of the game he is. Uh, he's get at, he gets asked a question about Northwestern's defense, which is usually like a 10 second answer by a guy, uh, very generic. And he kept it generic enough that a coach would be fine with it in, in describing him. But he gave a 90-second answer, talked about they got this transfer from this school, this guy went here. And it, you could tell that he'd read the book 10 times on Northwestern this summer uh, on sort of what they're about. Now, obviously, they can throw change-ups at you and all that. Um, but Casey Thompson really was focused, and I don't think it's hard for him, on, on projecting a face of uh, calm and confidence for his team as they head out there. And I, I was impressed by that because I do think even if you're new here, there is somewhat an understanding that you pick up on fast that sometimes with Nebraska football and games like this, people walk on eggshells a bit and Nebraska plays like it. They certainly, I think did last year in week zero against Illinois. And um, you know, you don't want to just excuse bad football saying you're uptight but I do think there's been multiple games we could point to through the years, yep. e- even before the Frost era, where when when there's a moment for this team to meet, sometimes uh, you don't think they're they're at their best because it looks like a team that's sort of stressing a bit, worried, worried instead of just going out and attacking. And so it was good to hear the quarterback kind of have that um, and really project that we're going out there. We're going to get it done. We've trained for this. We should be confident because we've been pretty good. Why wouldn't we be good on Saturday sort of thing? Yeah. I, I gotta say, I mean, Casey really exhibited this sort of attitude that you want from a quarterback and particularly a guy that's in a new situation. I mean, I, 
I can see where you would be, um, if you're Mark Whipple or Scott Frost, you'd be pleased with how he handles his business. You'd be pleased with the sort of demeanor that he exhibited with the media there. If that's what he's like around the team, if he can be relatively calm when the bullets are flying, I, that's only going to help a Nebraska team that, like you said, has a tendency to play tighter uh, more often than not. Uh, and and I was I was just genuinely impressed with him. And then, you know, I don't know who asked the question, but we, we sort of got a glimpse into kind of what his mindset is like and how he he does some meditation techniques to sort of keep himself uh, calm and in the moment, you know, before games start. And he talked about how some, one of the best he's ever felt before a start was one of the biggest games of his career with Oklahoma. And he played that way. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like you couldn't put on the film and see in the first half a guy that looked like the game was moving pretty slow for him with the throws that he was making and everything else. And so uh, I I walked away from that fairly impressed by what Casey Thompson had to say as well. And then, you know, he ran through what Nebraska has for skill position guys. Uh, I think he gave Trey Palmer a pretty large compliment saying that he has the sort of speed and the ability of Xavier Worthy. Uh, that was a guy that, you know, Casey mm-hmm. Thompson – matched up with really well uh, or meshed up with really well, I should say, in, in uh, Texas's offense. And and Xavier was, uh, I think, a 900-yard receiver with seven or eight touchdowns. So if you're getting that kind of production with Trey Palmer, that'd be great. But he, he ran through what they have. And I I thought it was, you know, you don't win the, the game by winning the press conference by any means. But I have to say I walked away feeling pretty good about Nebraska's decision with Casey Thompson. Not that I had any doubt. Uh, that he was going to be the guy or really was concerned that he was going to be the guy. But it just reinforced that. And it reinforced the idea that this could be, and I know it's hard to believe because it's hard for me sometimes too, that this could be a different Nebraska football team because there are different pieces on it in key situations and key places. And so it still might be a Scott Frost-led team, but it doesn't mean all of the things that they've had happen before have to occur again. And I think Casey Thompson can be a big part of that. Yeah. And as well, I'm glad you mentioned Trey Palmer, uh, because one interesting thing Frost did say is he feels like they actually, I've never heard him say this before on the record, but they needed an injection of confidence on offense basically is what he, he put out there. And he feels like some of these newcomers sort of have that. He said almost to a fault and, uh, Thompson would be one of those guys, but uh, Palmer and Marcus Washington um, are just guys who they've played enough football or they've been around enough big games, uh, even though Texas has struggled, you know, they've played into high profile games. There's always a, a mark on them when they're playing. So Marcus Washington's used to it. And uh, just that he thinks that's been good for the other guys. Basically Marcus Washington uh, came up several times during the press conference with Frost and with Thompson uh, because I think he's one of the stories of the last two months in this program. I mean, he came up here in June, and I don't know, Schaefer, I would have maybe put him at fifth or sixth at the time, and now I think he's second. Like, I think it's Palmer and Washington are the top two, and then there's uh, people can read the names. It's sort of the six or seven you would guess at receiver, I think. Um, but that – that's a guy who um, has a chip on his shoulder too. And that's the thing you can get with some of these portal guys where you can catch them at this. It's now or never time for them. Like we call this a make or break season for Husker football, but that's the way 
Casey Thompson doesn't back away from that pressure personally for him. He knows that's kind of what it is as a football player. He's worked mm-hmm. his whole life to be this this guy in this moment. And last year he thought he had reached that. And then you hit your hand on a guy's helmet and it sort of changes the whole direction for a player. And he probably, who knows, he's maybe not even here if he doesn't hit his hand on an Oklahoma guy's helmet in that game. Uh, but he is. And because of that, I think there's that determination. Like I've spent 17, 18 years of my life since I was five or whatever to succeed right now. I can't let this slip. And I think they've got a few guys who are kind of looking like that, looking at it like that and in a, and then embracing that, I think, in sort of a healthy state of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just jumping sides of the ball and sticking with the confidence team. Caleb Tanner does not lack for confidence. He uh, certainly yeah. feels good about what this defense can be. He feels good about himself. And real quickly, uh, I would like you to kind of pass along the story that we worked into uh, what's up on Caleb Tanner and, and him talking about being named a captain and everything else. But this wasn't a moment that this was no, you know, prince that was promised. This was a guy who had to go and and re-earn the respect of his teammates and re-earn the trust of the coaching staff. And not only did he do that, but he made himself a pretty important leader amongst that locker room in the process. Yeah, I would say around here, and I, I'd, I'm fine with this. I don't think Nebraska media focuses like when guys are sort of down in the dumps and sort of not haven't figured it out yet. And, but sometimes you hear those stories like four years after the fact, when a guy does get through it, comes out on the other side and he's just a mature guy and player. And that is an example of what we saw in Caleb Tanner or are seeing is when he arrived, he was on like every accountability list. It sounds like, um, you know, late to stuff, uh, just didn't have his head totally in it at the time. And, um, this was said by like three or four guys yesterday, they all shared the same story about him. So it was like common knowledge. Like this guy has a lot of talent, but he's got to get it screwed on right here for that to be, you know, for that moment to happen. And, um, he did. And, uh, to go from that to being one of four guys who gets a captainship in a year where, I think the vote was probably extremely tight and, you know, some on the outside are for fair reason, enamored with O'Shawn Mathis and all this stuff. Caleb Tanner is going to have as large a say as any of those edge defenders. I'm telling you. And uh, he's as respected for his skill set by Chenander as those other edge defenders. And um, it's cool that he's up talking to the media now too. He, he kind of shied away from that for three years and not that that has to be a thing. I don't get all caught up in that, but I just think he's confident in who he is right now and where he's going. And uh, it's, 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 it's awesome when you see a guy figure it out when I think people, I don't know that people would have bet against him a few years, but he was one of those guys you wouldn't have like bet on necessarily. And he's, he's, he's shown us, I mean, he's doing it. Yeah, I mean, he's set himself up for the potential to have the best season of his career. He's shown glimpses where he could be borderline unblockable. I mean, you go back to the 2019 Colorado game, he had a really good first half where he was putting pressure on, uh, on uh, I believe Steven Montez was still the quarterback at that time, uh, and was doing a really nice job with it, but just couldn't, uh, couldn't sustain it. It just didn't become a thing that was going to last over time, and... 
and that's sort of what it's been. There's these individual glimpses where Caleb Tanner can really turn it on. And he feels like he's past that now. He feels like he's a more mm-hmm. complete player. And the other thing that you can tell with some of these guys, and some of it, you know, we in the media, you hear it every August about the brotherhood and they've never been closer and stuff like that. I will say that over the last two years, more than almost any other time that I've covered the team, the defensive players genuinely like each other. They like to be around each other. There's a level of trust and understanding and belief in each other that I think comes from having a defensive coordinator that has really earned their trust, that has really earned their love. And I think he's been able to sort of put that unit together as a whole defense where it's pretty cohesive for the most part. Instead of individual pieces, they feel like they have to operate as a unit, that they, you know, they trust that if I'm here, Nick Henrich is going to be here, Ty Robinson's going to do his job here, and that might free up Garrett Nelson there, and those sorts of things. You hear that when they talk, and it's not, like I said, I mean, you every August you go in and you hear about how close guys are, and, you know, you can tend to tune that out, but when you, there's just a different tone to it, and it has been the last two years, and I think a lot of that is Eric Shenander and Caleb Tanner was, was talking about that again on Sunday, but you know, he was talking about it in the sense that he's been genuinely impressed that a guy like O'Shawn Mathis showed up and he didn't rock the boat. It didn't mm-hmm. become the O'Shawn Mathis show. It didn't become, Oh, well, I showed up here and they needed me and you guys are crap and I'm going to make us better. No, it was, Hey, we got to do this together. He fit right in. I mean, I, I think Caleb Tanner used the word seamless to, to kind of describe what it was like when he showed up. And then on top of it, O'Shawn Mathis turned out to be a guy with a really big motor. And that has in itself created more competition amongst Garrett Nelson and Caleb Tanner and the guys behind him. I mean, he was just as quick to point out that they're going to need Jamari Butler and Blaze Gunnarsson to be important cogs for that whole pass rushing unit uh, as just as important as he and O'Shawn and Garrett Nelson because they know that they can't get by with just any one of them. And so I, I think there's a level of maturity from, from Caleb Tanner that comes from sort of seeing it. He talked about being on defenses when he first got here that were bad, that didn't pursue to the ball. I mean, he didn't give specific years, but you can see where they've gotten better over time. And he even said last year, you know, we thought we could be better than we were and and we have to improve upon where we were. And so I, I just think there's, there's good maturity there. I think that he's a really good fit right along Garrett Nelson, who's sort of the emotional uh, leader sometimes of that defense and the vocal one. But Caleb Tanner can bring from a different perspective. And they work together and they obviously trust each other. So I, I just think the vibe I get from the defense, I had been worried coming into the offseason because of how much you have to replace. I mean, you're replacing Jojo Doman. You're replacing Ben Stilley. You're replacing those two safeties. You're replacing Cam Taylor Britt, who I thought was a pretty important part of that team. Um, and that's a lot. And I, I feel like this group has been able to account for a lot of that, whether it's the emotional leadership, whether it's the on-field leadership. Now, they still have to go out and do it. But I feel better about the defense, Brian, going into this first game than I certainly did at the start of the spring or even really the start of fall camp. Oh, yeah, way better. Um, I mean, some of it's the talent additions that have come along since then. But um, you can tell in the last couple of weeks, especially, like even with the last time Shenander met with the media, uh, sometimes you just know when a coach truly believes like, hey, we're not, we're not bad. 
In fact, we might be pretty good. I don't want to just say that out loud yet, but might we might be that kind of defense. And I kind of got that sense listening to him talk. Um, one other thing about Caleb Tanner, too, we always talk about those guys like getting to the quarterback. But I think one of the things that's going to show up, and it, it could save Nebraska's bacon in a game at some point this year, is he's got, I think, great eraser speed uh, for his position label. Like, I think he's a guy who uh, I keep going back to this play because it's a phenomenal play. I just need to find it and we need to like put it on a clip here. But against uh, Iowa ran a screen pass last year and Caleb Tanner came from across the field and it ended up being a two yard gain or something. And it should have been like a 40 yard player, a touchdown. And I think there's some of those plays that might not even get the credit they deserve that with his straight line speed, Chenander said it's as good as any of those guys, actually better. Um, that's going to pay dividends. I also think with the new guys, you were talking about like O'Shawn Mathis coming in and not rocking the boat. I think that's kind of in his personality. And we're being really positive here, but it's it's a first week. People want to be positive going in. Um I think the guys who have transferred in, um, don't you think they have to be sort of surprised at the talent? I, I believe they have a lot of talent in this program, and I've actually thought they've had some decent talent for a few years. Same. And so, and, and actually, when I say that, it's more, it, it is a black eye to their results, like even more so because you're like, why? They've underachieved. Yeah, why do you have these records? Because I believe, and I think other Big Ten coaches, and personnel believe that about Nebraska. They know that's a team that has dudes. It's just, can they get out of their own way and put it together and figure out some of this little crap that's, you know, kept them down. But I think when like an O'Shawn comes in or a Stefan win, I have to guess they're like, wow, this is not like a three and nine roster. You know, like you sort of think like I got, I'm going to be, I'm not saying they'd want it handed to him, but you're probably thinking like, yeah, I'm going to be the guy by default. And then you show up and you're like, Caleb Tanner's really good. Garrett Nelson is that guy could be a great player. And I think Stefan Wynn sees that with some of these guys, even unheralded guys like Colton feast or a hut mocker, maybe climbing. And um, that's part of it. I really believe that the transfers who have arrived, uh, when they when they step through the door, they're like, okay, they actually have talent. I need to help complement this, but I don't necessarily have to be just a, a savior. And that has to take a little pressure off some of those guys too. Yeah, I, I definitely I get what you're saying there, and I, I would agree with it. I mean, especially on that defensive side of the ball where, you know, if you're one of those junior college guys or, or Tommy Hill and you're coming into the, the backfield, I mean, it – the defensive backfield, they, they do have talent. I mean, I, I have not felt like, I know that was a really common conversation in 2019 and 2020. I don't feel like most of the time Nebraska is the least talented team on the field. I mean, I just, I have it like, yeah. and I, you know, and I, I think it shows that, I mean, this is, we're off topic here, but like Jojo Doman and Ben Stilley are probably going to make NFL 53 man rosters or at the mm -hmm. very least, the practice squad and they didn't get drafted. And the reason that some of these guys aren't getting drafted is the results not going the way that, you know, if Nebraska's six and six, I'm guessing Ben Stilley and Jojo Toman get drafted, yeah. but there's, there's just more talent here than, than 
you expect from a team that's won 11 games over the last three years. Like, it's just, it's better than that. I mean, I see it, you see it. I think the fans see it. I think the coaches know it, uh, but that's what's frustrating about it. And so they've, they've got an opportunity here in, in 2022 to kind of rewrite that, and we'll see if they're able to overcome some of the bugaboos. I mean, you you were talking about erasing with speed. I think with this defense, as we, we kind of continue a sort of overarching preview of, of the season ahead, I think with this defense, I think there's more takeaway potential in this group than what we saw last year. I just, I feel like with that pass rush, with with Mathis, with Nelson, with Tanner, with Butler, with Gunnarsson, if you get into those situations where you're forcing a team to throw and that puts a lot of pressure on your internal defense and your run game and your run fits, you're going to be able to either get after the quarterback, you got strip sacks or an opportunity, or even if you don't finish with the sack, guys get hands up, tip balls. Guys force a quick throw from a quarterback, mm-hmm. and there's Quentin Newsom or Tommy Hill or one of the safeties or a linebacker or, you know, one of their three nickelbacks. And I think all three of those guys are going to play. That position fascinates me too. But I I expect this in a lot of ways to be a little bit more of a boom-bust defense than what we saw last year. Last year it felt like the, the strategy was we don't think you can make a 13-play drive, go down the field, and score on us. Somewhere around play seven and eight, you're going to make a mistake. We're going to get you in third long. We're going to get mm-hmm. off the field. We're not going to necessarily dominate field position this way, but we're going to keep ourselves in the game. This year, I really think they have the kind of team that, you know, you Northwestern comes out and they're not firing on all cylinders. It wouldn't be inconceivable for Nebraska to have three takeaways in that game. It's not inconceivable for me to, for Nebraska to, to finish the year where one of the better, you know, interception ratios in the in the secondary i mean i i just i think they have that kind of talent and i think that the way they're gonna play is a little bit different than the last few years where it felt like they were trying to keep everything in front of them i think they're going to be the aggressor a little bit more in 2022 am i off my rocker over here no i think you're thinking that because there's a belief that the pass rush is ready to meet step up like it hasn't been there enough in the past and i love everything chenander's done but he himself has said we got to get home more this year you know and garrett nelson said they need a sack more game we talk about that every podcast 1.67 was the number last year we use that um so i suspect because of that what you're saying could come to fruition um and also I don't think they have to necessarily, if these guys are as advertised, leave themselves too vulnerable sometimes because I think they might be able to get to the QB in circumstances uh, where you're not sending an extra guy or anything like that. You're just winning one-on-one matchups or because this guy's on this side and uh, they got to pay a lot of attention to him. The guy on the other side has a complete mismatch and, and uses it. So I think because of that, uh, you will see a little bit more havoc. And then, you know, the other part is I feel like with third down defense uh, with the Huskers in recent years, it's sort of been very much a roller coaster ride where there's been weeks where they've kind of got a hot hand and they'll have like three weeks where they're getting off the field. And then there'll be that like killer three game stretch or something uh, where it's just like, it could be third and 14 and you expect the worst, you know, you're just sort of like an 18 yard catch, of course. Um, 
So they need to be more consistent there on the money down throughout the course of the season. And I think that, of course, goes back to the pass rush as well. And I think they've even got some niche guys that are pretty interesting, like that they can throw out there, like where a team could be like, where did he come from? Like an Ativa Malga Clements. I could, I could definitely see him even Saturday, like in a third and long, like, all right, go get him, you know, and he goes and makes a play type of thing. Um, but, you know, I'd love to see a Nebraska team win turnover margin for a season um, and see what that looks like and how it <laughs> translates to the record. I've kind of forgotten uh, sort of how that goes. And I'd love to see him force fumbles. That's a thing. If you look at Nebraska's inability to put the, to make teams put it on the carpet, you know, for through a blindside hit or whatever it may be, they just haven't been there. And so you love to see that team where like maybe in the opener, a guy puts his helmet on the ball and you get the fumble and you have like two of those happen, you know, and all of a sudden that becomes like something that's a thing again. You know, I, I, I do feel like football is like that where uh, once it happens in that, and this is sort of where Nebraska struggled. They've had these chances like in a bigger perspective to close out wins. And you always think like if they closed out this win, if they could get it, that can, uh, this will beget another win. And, you know, once you've done it, you believe you can do it. And so uh, all this stuff, they just have to see it happen in front of their eyes. And then I think um, the confidence grows with that. That's why I think this schedule matters too, Schaefer. I mean, it, I know some people are like, hey, you can't just say it's an easier schedule. Um, but there's a roadmap there which provides an opportunity and you have to take advantage of it. Sort of like Minnesota did a few years ago. That wasn't a great team in 19 or whatever it was to start the year. They won these close games against like South Dakota State. By like week six, they're like, this is what we do. We win close games. We know how to figure it out. Nebraska needs sort of that, you know, thing to happen early in the year. And then and then it just becomes something that is a habit. Yeah, I look, I agree. I mean, I, I definitely think any extra confidence that this team can get from having the sort of beautiful runway start that they haven't had the last four or five years. I mean, if you get this win against Northwestern and you take care of business at home for the first two weeks, it sets up for that three and O Nebraska three and O Oklahoma game or two and O Oklahoma game that Nebraska just hasn't had. I mean, the last time that they were undefeated to start a year was one and O against South Alabama. And they could have been two and O if the second half had never started in Boulder, but Yep. I mean, it's just it's it's amazing to me. I mean, you you think about how ridiculous it is to say this out loud, but they started 0 and 1 in 2018, 0 and 1 in 2020, 0 and 1 in 2021. Just getting this first game against Northwestern is huge from a confidence standpoint, and because you know you get a little bit of time to work against North Dakota and Georgia Southern, who aren't going to be slouches. They're still going to be teams you got to mm -hmm. go out and beat on the field. But you get a little bit of extra time to, to iron out some things. And then the season really begins that fourth game. But if you just got to get through this first one. All right. Um, I didn't warn you that we were going to do this. But, okay. you know, I like to ask you questions that put you on the spot. So here we are. Uh, you mentioned a guy that I know you believe pretty highly in, in Malga Clements. Do you have another player that you think could be a potential, like, breakout guy for Nebraska? in 2022 is there someone that you're just sort of thinking if the right situation play out this individual has a chance to and it doesn't have to be like all big 10 caliber 
mm-hmm. but someone who goes from not a lot of expectations to potential important contributor on the roster. Yeah, I mean, in the sort of same category as Amalga Clements, I think there's a couple – I don't know which tight end it's going to be, but I think there is going to be some – we've always kind of been focused on, after Vokalek, like what's Thomas Fedone's you know, health situation, and he's always the first guy brought up no matter what. And I hope he gets cleared and at some point can get back out there, and I think he is going to be a very good player if he can stay healthy. But because of the attention on him, sometimes people kind of move off of like a Borkercher. Um, and I think I just hear Sean Beckham bring him up too much. I think they believe he's kind of a pretty special athlete, also out of Aurora. And I could see him being the second tight end. Uh, Chance Brewington, of course, is in that conversation, too. Those seem to be the guys who come up first. A.J. Rollins, I think, is sort of on the surface and might be around soon. So there's an opportunity for someone to sort of grab that second tight end spot. And uh, really, they got to be just chomping at the bit thinking, OK, this is Vocalix last year. I know Fedone is coming back, but I could really solidify myself as a future guy, as a piece on this offense for like the next three years. So there's a pretty big battle going on there to sort of get your seat, you know, like claim the second chair and then, you know, you can move up. So Borkercher is a guy I would throw out there. Um, I also think Colton Feast is going to play well. I think he'll be a solid guy. Um, maybe he won't be the most flashy, but he's uh, incredibly strong for a guy who's like 275, 280 playing in the interior. Uh, they say he's very fast too. Like it shows off his speed and, uh, Everybody just kind of raves about how he goes to work. And I think he's the kind of guy you need in a Big Ten grind. Like, you just need him to take up some reps and have an occasional pop in for a big TFL at some moment, you know, and we're all tweeting about him. Like, I could see him being a guy. I like it. Right next to the vanilla gorilla, Ty Robinson, right? <laughs> Is that his T-shirt? Is that what it was? That's his NIL T-shirt. Yeah. I gotta say it's pretty good. I haven't heard it before. <laughs> when a guy gets out there and he had something I haven't seen before, I always appreciate it. So nice work, Ty Robinson. Uh, I I'm gonna cheat and I'm just gonna take a position group because it could be any number of guys. But I really think that from that safety crop, they're gonna get one or two guys that really become pretty good players for him. And it could be a Deshaun Singleton, it could be an Omar Brown. Um, you know, I, I think Miles Farmer has done a really nice job actually keeping himself ahead of everybody else. I kind of thought that there was a chance he may not be a starter for this first game just with the way the season ended and the talent that they put in there. But I, I think guys like Omar Brown and Deshaun Singleton are pushing, uh, you know, Miles Farmer and Marquise Buford right in front of them. And I, you know, whether it's Singleton, whether it's Brown, they, they both have a little bit of experience. Brown has more. You know, Brown Brown isn't really a guy that should be a sleeper or a breakout. He's someone that if if it clicks, and I think it will, I mean, I he's just a guy who's played a lot of football. I mean, yeah. Eric Shenander talked about it, and they're pretty excited about him. But Deshaun Singleton's the one that people forget about a little bit. He would They went out, and Travis Fisher wanted him. This wasn't like, a, oh, we got to fill bodies back there. We need a little bit of depth. No, this is Travis Fisher went on a Saturday, on a bye week, drove to where Deshaun Singleton was playing in Hutchinson Community College and watched him. And after the first half was like, yep, we're going to offer. I mean, that's that's what he was for him. And I, I think it's been maybe a little slow uh, this spring. 
But I think he's had a pretty good fall camp, and he's someone that uh, would keep an eye on as well. May not be early in the season, but he's he's going to push the issue, I think. And so I I like the depth that they have in that secondary. I, I just think that you know, and even if you look at the the cornerback spot, a guy we never talk about anymore because Tommy Hill's been so good. I I don't I wouldn't write off Braxton Clark entirely. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be involved in this thing too. And that was a guy that you know Travis Fisher has always quietly really sort of liked the way that he goes about his business. He just hasn't taken over uh, as a starting corner, but that doesn't mean he can't help you and be an important rotational piece. So keep, you know, keep Braxton Clark in mind as well this season too. Uh, even though I, I fully endorse and expect Tommy Hill to be everybody as good as, as these coaches view him as. I guess what, as you go through those names, we are talking about sort of defensive optimism. And I think some of it stems from that. As you go through different position groups at each level, let's say somebody did go down or was out a week or something. There's pretty interesting guys at most, at every spot. Like you, who, if he had to pop in, you, I mean, I'm not saying he'd be the exact same level, but you're pretty interested yep. at like how it's going to go. And you see potential there. Uh, certainly in the secondary, there's no question about it. Um, you know, we've been a Marquise Buford fan club here for a good <laughs> while. So, um, and I, I think, I think he's a guy who you talk about somebody in week one, or the first game who could uh, make a play or something and, and sort of just firmly entrench himself in Husker hearts for a couple years to come. I could see Marquise Buford doing that uh, sort of like Lou Grimer did remember against this very Northwestern team yep. uh, during the COVID season in 2020. Um I don't know. I had like 47 tackles, I think, <laughs> roughly. In like the first half, yeah. He he had a sack where he uh, almost recovered the fumble, or he yep. did maybe. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, somebody like that's going to step up, I think, Saturday. And uh, they're kind of just off the fringe right now. And they're, they've people have heard about them. But now there's that – there's most of the Husker fan base doesn't follow it by the hour. And so Saturday they're going to be turning in, and they're like, oh, Marquise Buford, you know, or somebody like that. Like th- there's a lot of people like that. And so that's always exciting when a guy makes a play or two and, and suddenly he's a household name in the state. All right. We are 38 minutes into this podcast. And the only mention of the offensive line was a crack about, you know, Teddy Perhaska and Bryce Benhart having to sleep on the plane because they're six foot 10. Donovan Rayola spoke to the media last week. You mm-hmm. were over there. What what do we make of this offensive line? Because that's kind of the the thing that no one really wants to talk about and sort of the thing that everybody wants to see as it plays out. They're confident. Um, and uh, I don't know that it's false confidence. I think they've had days where they've been pretty good. I think they've had days in camp where they got their tails kicked. And uh, Frost said as much yesterday. I think he had kind of picked up on the narrative that – was maybe floating that the defense had sort of owned camp more than anything. And he said, there were definitely days where the defense, you know, dominated or won. Uh, But he said, there were also a bunch of days where we would have scored a whole lot of points on them. Um, So he liked the back and forth. And the, the big question to me is like, after the first drive or so, after all the emotions kind of settled down for both squads, and they're not running on Red Bull like happen. Sometimes the first series, you'll try to run the ball and you'll get stuffed by an average or below average defense because everybody's just so amped up. 
So I take that for what it is. But after all that kind of goes away and you get to the second or third series, you know, can we finally see a Nebraska squad we haven't seen in a few years where you hand that ball the eye back and it's like four yards, five yards, just consistent, not six yards, negative one, negative one, four yards, negative one. So that to me is going to be the thing I'm looking for is just a consistency where early in the game, even if it's like three or four yards, you're looking at it and you're saying that could turn to five or six. You know, I I remember back in old Husker football days, you would watch a first series and you could tell you'd be like, okay, a three, four yard run. That's, that's growing as this game goes along. And so um, that's what has to come back. I'm really curious how the tackles are going to hold up in pass pro like everybody else. Um, that's a big question mark and we're big on Teddy, but it's the tough injury. It's been a long layoff. So, uh, it's a heck of a difficult assignment he's taken on. And, um, imagine though, if Bryce Benhart is solid, like if he comes out this year and is just solid, that changes my look about the O-line in a hurry. I don't know about you. No, it does. It does. I mean, it doesn't. They don't have to be five outland winners out there. I mean, they just, if you give borderline competence and you can keep Casey Thompson upright, then I think that's going to be a good start. I, there's a part of me that wants to see what the, the pass protection looks like when it has a quarterback where they genuinely sort of know where he is most of the time versus, you know, Adrian's tendency to flush out one way or the other uh, when he needed to. And I'm not saying that Adrian was wrong to do that, but it's, so it's sometimes easier to, to pass protect for a pocket quarterback uh, because you're creating the pocket versus a guy who's maybe just having to create with his legs. So there's a, there's a lot that I want to see with that offensive line. I also think it could be a lot worse in the sense that they have a lot of guys with experience. You know, no one going over there that's going to probably start this game hasn't at least started a game uh for nebraska before i mean you're if, if you're left or right is prohaska corcoran hickson bando and uh benhart i mean they've all played in big 10 games they all know what they're getting into this isn't this isn't an offensive line where they haven't at least had that experience before and so i, I think that's helpful um you know if, if if donovan rayola gave them sort of a renewed outlook on being a little bit more uh, ferocious off the ball or a little bit better at finishing your run blocks. I mean, it, as bad as they looked last year, it wasn't like they didn't have moments where they couldn't do stuff. I mean, there's there so much talent that they went out and recruited and they put these guys in this position that if a little bit starts to go right and they can build off of that, that could be a a pretty seismic jump from where they were at both mentally and from a skill set. Uh, standpoint. So I I don't think all is lost or that it's hopeless with that offensive line. But I do think if we're talking about a group that needs to build confidence in week one, it would be that, that group up front. Because if they can just play reasonably well, I think it would quell quite a few fears of, of the fan base. And I think it would buoy you some of the spirits of the most dissected group uh, of Nebraska football right now. I also think that and I'm no expert at all, but I've talked to people who played the position and you hear them analyze it. The running backs in recent years for Nebraska did not help their O line. There's a lot of cases where that happened, uh, where they 
they didn't see the hole right. They didn't have the timing right, whatever it is. And uh, there was opportunity. Sometimes it, uh, uh, if you have that brilliant running back or two, they can take a lot of plays that are nothing and they're five yard gains. You know, they just squeeze out five yards of them and you're, you're in a good down and distance. So um, that's that part. I package the running backs with it. Like I'm, a, I'm just as interested, like how the running backs run off the O line and how they see the field. And I think there's a confidence there that they are better at that now and they're helping the O line. So we'll see. And then this goes to it too. You need your QB and I don't want to make this a knock on Adrian thing, but one thing he did struggle with uh, was those short passes. You know, there were sort of layups that were missed and you can kind of be like, ah, you know, and kind of make a joke about it, but it's such a difference when it's second and even six, as opposed to second and 10, you know? So, so get your, get those easy four or five yarders when they're there. And then you're playing ahead of the game on the defense and you're dictating things. And so that that'll fall on Casey. Like, can he make the simple plays? And if he does at a higher level than has been done in the past few years, I think you're going to see this offense ascend because of that. Um, I think that's just a, a, that's one of those small things. It's not a small thing. All right. Last thing here. And just a few days before Nebraska will kick off over in Ireland, Cameron Lenhart set to make a decision this week. That's a guy Nebraska has been pushing for really hard. His final group included uh, Penn State and Michigan State, along with Nebraska. Nebraska has been a pretty heavy favorite since his official visit in June. Brunt, or why do I keep calling you Brunts? I'm sorry. I apologize. Because you're worried about him. You don't know Uh, where he is right now. You're wondering. If he's in O'Hare, if he's in O'Hare, I'm definitely worried about him. (laughs) You're going to talk about an airport that I don't enjoy spending time in. Anyways. Cameron Lenhart, I, Brian, I know you've talked to him a couple different times. This is a guy that I think Nebraska really wants. Like, I, you know, really wants. What What is it about Cameron Lenhart that has you intrigued, and how do you feel about Nebraska's chances this week? He's played a lot of different positions. He was really good up in the New Jersey area at a very good program uh, northeast, up in the Northeast. And then he went down to IMG and has been pretty good there. Um, so he, he's – he's uh, I think he's he's used to playing against really good competition. He pointed that out like early in his career. He's going against like people who follow recruiting would just recognize these names that he's lined up against and he's fared well. And mm-hmm. so um, I think he has a lot of confidence because of what he's done against individuals that the recruiting community regards as like big time players. He's held his own and then some. So Um, and he's all, he's one of those guys, you can even see it on his picture, you know, just some guys where you're like, really that, that guy's that age, you know, (laughs) he's, he sort of has that, that look about him where he, he's a little more put together than your, your average, even your very good recruit. Sometimes you're like, okay, that it's going to take that guy some time to get his frame. Right. Um, not that he won't have some work to do with that, but I, I think he will be further along than some others. Yeah, I think Brent and I have a term for that, and it's called two kids and a mortgage. So yeah. you know, we would we would see some of these guys brought in early in in our time of covering recruiting, and he'd be like, "At seventeen, really? Yeah, are we sure he wasn't just at the bank looking to see if he needs to get a second mortgage on that house? Are we are we sure? So I mean, you're right; he, he definitely has that kind of look, and and 
I, like I said, I, I think Nebraska is really, truly uh, excited about Cameron Linhart. And if they pull this off, you know, that'll give them a couple outside linebackers, a couple edge guys they're really, uh, really looking forward to in this class. So keep an eye on that. And we'll have plenty of that coverage and more at Husker 24-7. Brian, thank you for your time this morning. No, th- you, thanks you can for- talk. You can say something. I didn't know if I should just nod. I was, uh, thanks for having me. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Uh, I, we were, we were pretty positive through that podcast, yeah. some, but you know what? Come on. They'll be, it, we'll go, we'll go negative if we have to, if this oh, thing sure. just falls off the cliff, but let's people want to hope this week and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, and as you are fond of saying some year, it's just going to click and it's going to click at a high level. And Maybe. why not this year? Why not? Why not 2022? That's not? our that's our closing message here as we get you prepared for Northwestern. Of course, that game will be on Saturday in Ireland. We'll have all the coverage leading up. Michael Brunts will be our boots on the ground over there in Ireland. He'll be at the media availabilities that will be happening on Wednesday and Thursday. Of course, BC and I will have plenty of coverage of other things. Uh, Cameron Lenhart decision coming up as well. High school football underway. We'll be at some games, several Nebraska commits and targets playing in the capital city this week makes it nice and easy i just pop over to seacrest i love it so we'll have that as well for you on thursday and friday so be sure to check out everything the return of the hype cast this week too uh, i believe connor happer will be joining us for the opening hype cast so plenty of stuff husker 24 7 is where you want to be and bc and i will catch you next time